weeks left on this series called With. And as we uh, have been talking throughout this series, there's these various ways, these different postures we call them, how people relate towards God. And the first couple we introduced uh, have, have aspects of truth to them, as we've discussed, but they all kind of fall short of the full experience that God longs for us to have in relationship with him. Now, a couple weeks back, we introduced the posture of, of life with God, where the way we define that is we reach this point in our minds and our lives and our faith where we believe and we hold God as the highest, greatest treasure that exists in our lives. That doesn't mean everything else ceases to exist. Other things have a place and have importance and relevance as well, but, but they're all secondary to the importance of God in our lives. And when we can reach that point in our spiritual journey, it opens these doors where we can also then have a life with faith. We have a life with God, which leads to this life with faith, because we know and have faith that there is something greater, there is something beyond just ourselves that we can trust in, that we can have faith in. And when we reach that point, it then opens the door, we can have a life with hope that we talked about last week, where even in the midst of maybe difficult situations and circumstances that are going on in our world, we know that we have faith in God, and because we have faith in God, we have hope that there is a better future, that there is a fulfillment of the promise, there is something just around the corner that we can hope for, because we have faith in Christ, because we have life with God. That's the journey we've been on. And today, as we begin to close this series, I want to add one more virtue to that list. A virtue that is foundational to all of them. And that being a life with love. Now it's safe to assume that all of us have some things in our lives that we love. There are some people in our lives that we love. I think it's even safe to say that there's a number of people here who would genuinely say, I love God. And that's fantastic. And therefore I guess we could say that in a sense we're already living a life in love. And so I should just pray and wrap it up and let you go home early. No. Maybe not, because I think there's more to it than, than that. Because if we're honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, there are things that I love. There are people that I love. I do love God, but I also know that I'm not always that consistent with my love. That at times, the way I love, how deeply I love, my, my, my commitment to these certain things and people can waver at times. For example, one day we love ice cream, mint chocolate chip, rocky road, or maybe you're a purist and it's just like chocolate. But, but then we gain some weight and we're not so fond of ice cream anymore all of a sudden, right? Uh, one day we love the Oilers and then they blow it in the third period again. And we turn on them like, like that, right? There's these people in our lives that are our friends, our spouses, our family, that we, we are just overwhelmed with love for them one day. But then in their humanness, they fail us and we start to have questions that enter into our minds. You see, we all have these different experiences with love, and, and we waver at them at times. But one thing is also true when it comes to ourselves and our experiences with love is that all of us naturally tend to lean towards wanting to be loved. And, and we have this natural desire to express love. We want to give love, and we yearn to receive love. However, we also know that love can be a fickle thing. A lot of you are aware that Nadine and I still live south side in Edmonton. We haven't moved out to the west end yet, even though we desperately want to. <laughs> it just hasn't worked out for us yet. And so because of that, I drive the Anthony Hendy a couple times a day, back and forth to work. Now, I'm used to that drive, and I don't mind it too, too much. But one Sunday a few weeks back, as I was driving down the Anthony Hendy on a beautiful Sunday afternoon, average traffic, got crews locked in around, uh, well, a little over 100, 
I won't say how fast I was going, but this cruise locked in, driving down the road, beautiful afternoon. And then I look in my rearview mirror, and here he comes. Some guy in a big black truck. Now, you know the guy I'm talking about, because this truck costs the same as but of a small house that he has. He's got the blacked out windows on it, loaded with chrome, 12-inch lift kit, oversized tires, big mags that are on this thing. And you can hear him coming from a mile away because of the exhaust system that he has in this truck. Now, and is he driving with due care and courtesy? No, he's weaving in and out of traffic as he speeds through. And I'm trying to describe the way I feel about him, but we're in church, so I'll be polite. <laughs> it's probably the politest way to say is, is I was not thinking I love this guy. It was not what I was thinking, especially when he cuts me off. And then right after he cuts me off, we see a sign at the side of the road, one of those construction signs that says we're going to merge to one lane two kilometers ahead as we approach a bridge. So we find ourselves in the left-hand lane. He's in front of me. I'm behind him. And we are parked on the Hendy now because everyone's merging into this construction area. Well, we're stuck there and not moving for a while. Meanwhile, in the lane beside us, cars are just racing by up to the very front of the line where they're merging at the front, getting in, causing our line to never, ever move. They say the zipper merge is the way to do it, but the zipper was broken on this particular day because our lane was not moving, and we're stuck there. And we didn't move for 10 minutes as dozens of cars go flying by us and merge at the front, at which point Mr. Big Black Truck decides to pull into the other lane, and he parks. And he blocks everybody from going forward. A few seconds later, we start to move. And I'm thinking to myself, I love this guy. <laughs> right? And so sure enough, we start moving. A few minutes later, and away we go. And for two kilometers, he was a rolling roadblock that allowed us to get through this construction zone and got us going again. Isn't that the way we are, though, at times? Is that the way our feelings can change from moment to moment? Isn't that sort of how the world experiences and expresses love, though? On how quite often we use these words for our experience of love, like, like conditional. My love for him, Mr. Big Black Truck, was very conditional upon the circumstances. My, my love was so, somewhat inconsistent as well. And you could even say that my love in that situation was honestly self-serving because it was about me being able to go forward. So we consider how fickle and inconsistent our love can be. It's actually not that different from some of the postures we've been talking about throughout this sermon series. As we've been discovering these different ways that we can relate towards God and experience him, each contains aspects of truth. Each gives us a glimpse of God, that the, the relationship that he invites us to have with him, but they're incomplete. And as I want to talk to you about today a little more, when we get to the very nature of God's being, when we get to the core of his invitation that goes to all people, when we get to the heart of God's work revealed through Jesus Christ, that, that work that makes it a reality for us to have life with God, what do we find at the core? What do we find at the heart? What do we find at the center of who God is in his work? We find love is what we find. And so it stands to reason, therefore, that we cannot talk about a life with God without also talking about a life with love. We cannot talk about a life with God without also talking about a life with love. Now, Billy Graham once said that the Bible is God's love letter to us. 
So there's a number of passages that we could look at today to, to unpack this a little further for us. But the one that is so prominent and central that we're going to look at today is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you have your phones or Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to that. If you haven't got one, you can find a pew Bible in front of you, and it's on page 932. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where the Apostle Paul writes this beautiful and clear description of God's love, but also of its foundational nature within our lives. Now, quite often, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is referred to as, as love chapter. And if you have, like, ever been to a wedding ever, there, there's probably a good chance that you've heard this used in some fashion in the ceremony. In fact, two of the three weddings I officiated this summer used this passage. Uh, a couple of years back, Nadine and I even went to a wedding where the couple was adamant there can be nothing religious taking place in this ceremony. And so as we gathered in the bride's backyard and the justice of the peace was officiating the service, during the service, she paused and said, I'd like to read a poem to you now. And then she proceeded to read 1 Corinthians 13, <laughs> which, which I was going to slide some religion in there without them even knowing that that's what was happening. But it, it's known in the church and outside of the church as this beautiful expression of love. But that's not the context in which Paul's writing. As appropriate as this passage is for a wedding, that's not what Paul had in mind. He wasn't prepping a wedding message as he wrote this. Completely different context was in mind. So there's a problem that Paul was trying to address. As he's writing to this church in the city of Corinth, what had started to happen is that the people who were part of this church were having these different ideas and beliefs about some of the spiritual gifts and the roles that members of the congregation had. And, and they started to believe that some gifts and some roles were more important, were more special than others, and therefore some people were more valuable and more important than others. And so in chapter 12, right before chapter 13, in chapter 12, Paul is saying, guys, there, there's different gifts. There, there's a gift of wisdom and faith and healing and helps and, and administration, but there is one Holy Spirit who gives the gifts. And he says there's different roles. Some of you are going to be leaders, and some of you are going to be teachers. Some of you will be evangelists. Some of you will serve in general ways within the body. But there is one Lord whom you are serving. And then without devaluing the importance of all of these gifts, without saying that they don't matter, because they do matter, without devaluing them, he draws their attention to what the core problem was. He draws their attention to what the missing ingredient in the way that they're relating to each other and deciding how they're going to value each other. He draws their attention at the end of chapter 12, verse 31, where he goes, I will show you the most excellent way. The most excellent way that you can find your value. The most excellent way you can relate to each other. The most excellent way you can relate between yourself and God and understand how he has gifted you, called you, positioned you, and wants to use you. I will show you the most excellent way. And then he gets to chapter 13, verse 1 through 3 where he says this, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Isn't it interesting? that each topic that Paul picks up here relates to the types of things that these people in the church of Corinth were using as the primary qualities, as the primary abilities that people had that provided a sense of identity and value for themselves, amongst each other, but also with God. 
But the neat thing is they actually also relate right back to the four postures that we've been talking about throughout this series. All these different postures that are incomplete, that fail to deliver on the promises that we find in Scripture. For example, in verse 1, in verse one where Paul says, if you can speak with languages of heaven and earth, if you have these gifts that come from God, this life from God, if you can speak with all languages of heaven and earth, but you don't have love, it's like a resounding gong. It's, it's like noise in the ears that's irritating. In verse 2, he says, if you have unlimited knowledge, if you can take this incredible knowledge and these principles and you can apply those to your life and be self-sufficient with these things, that's that, that life over God posture. He says, if you have that and can do that, but you don't exercise love in the midst of it, it's useless. And then continuing in verse 2, he also says that if you have the faith that can move mountains, if you know the letter of the law, but you have missed the heart of the law, this is that life under God posture. If that's where you find yourself, it's an incomplete experience. And then in verse 3, this life for God. If you are serving the poor, if you are sacrificing your life for God, but you are doing so and not motivated by love in the process of doing it, it's pointless. Now as spectacular as these gifts are, as incredible as these displays of commitment are, he's saying if it is done without love, it's meaningless. The reason being is because love is the flour in the cake that we're trying to bake. Love is the crust on the pizza we're trying to make. Love is the song and the bass line we're trying to sing. Because love is the foundation of all we are and all we do as followers of Jesus Christ. If we're going to talk about having a life with God, we cannot do so without also saying that we have a life with love. That's not the foundation. Now the greatest challenge that we have in this world when it comes to this idea, is defining love. Because love is defined different ways, in different places, but through different experiences. And that gets to the heart of the challenge, which is the fact that love, at its very nature, is experiential. What does that mean? When I say love is experiential, I mean that if I asked you to explain love, you would have a near impossible time doing it without defaulting to experiences without referring to some examples. If I said, define love for me, you would probably very quickly start by going, well, love is like, love is like a, like a warm hug. Love is, love is like a, a, a pleasant feeling. You would, you would have these analogies, these similes, these examples you try to go to, you would default to very quickly. But the problem is this. There's a difference between experiencing something and simply defining something. Like, like I can define to somebody what it is like to eat chocolate, but that is not the same as actually tasting chocolate for the first time. I, I can describe to somebody what it's like to go skydiving, but that doesn't come anywhere near the actual feeling of fear or exhilaration that may exist in the person actually experiencing it for themselves. The same is true when it comes to love. Nadine and I have been married for 24 years. I know what 24-year-old love feels like. My parents have been married for 50 years. I don't know what a 50-year relationship feels like. I haven't experienced it yet. I've seen it. I know it exists. I've heard about it, but I have not yet myself experienced it because love is experiential. So based upon this, Paul tries to describe for us what this type of love he's talking about would look like, what it would feel like if we ourselves encountered upon it. 
and he does so in the next few verses. And sometimes when you're trying to describe these abstract concepts, it's best to do it by talking about what something is, but also what something is not, which is what he does in verses 4 through 7, where he says this, if you're reading along. He says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, and it does not boast, and it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. He starts at the beginning by primarily talking about what love is not. He says love is not envious. If you encounter envy, you're probably not experiencing the love Paul's talking about. It's not boastful. It's not proud. It's not quick to anger. If you experience quick to anger, you're probably not experiencing the type of love Paul's talking about. It's not acquainted with evil at all. Essentially, if we're to combine these things and say, what is the thread that runs through all of these things? Essentially, what Paul is saying is that love is not something that focuses upon the self. Love is not something that is primarily concerned with what I want with what I have accomplished, with my greatness, with my pet peeves. That is not what love is about that he's trying to describe here. So what is it? He says, rather, love is others-focused. Love is something that puts the other person ahead of the self. And we can see this in the descriptions he uses when he says love is patient. I mean, it allows time for the relationship to develop, for the feelings to develop. Even if one person moves a little slower in the relationship, it's patient. And it gives it time. Our relationship with God is the same. God is not slow, but he wants everybody to come to know him. There's patience. It's slow to anger. It allows time for things to develop. It says love is kind. It shows sensitivity. It respects the other person. Love rejoices in truth. Honesty, openness, integrity. These are the things. These are the virtues that create an environment in which love can flourish. Love protects. It protects the other person, and it protects the relationship. It allows into the relationship things that will build up and strengthen, but it bars things that will tear down and be harmful because love protects. And love perseveres. Because it is patient, because it is kind, because it rejoices in truth, honesty, openness, and integrity, and because it protects, love is equipped. Love like this is equipped to stand the test of time, to stand the test of all seasons we go through, through the high points and through the low points, through those times when we, we feel love and times when we don't, when love gets a little fickle. This type of love is there to stand the test of time because it perseveres. And the one thing that I am convinced of is that as Paul is writing this description of love in 1 Corinthians 13, he has in his mind the greatest example of love that he himself has ever experienced. And that being the unconditional love of God that achieved its highest expression in the work of Jesus Christ, who offered up his life in our place. As, as the Apostle John would later write in his own letter, in 1 John chapter 4, he says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. That he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is why, th th this verse pinpoints why we cannot talk about a life with God without also talking about a life with love. Because the two of them are kind of one and the same. Whereas God, out of the core of his nature, as an expression of his incredible love, sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to come and be a sacrifice on our behalf. He came to be the atoning sacrifice. What does that mean? 
That means that all of us, every single one of us here suffer from a similar condition. All of us have violated God's will, his character. We've all violated his laws. Every single one of us, every person who has ever lived. The Bible calls that sin. It says that all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. And, and, and God can't ignore that that happened. He can't pretend it doesn't matter. Because that would totally change our understanding, concept, and definition of who God is. It did happen, and it does matter. And the price needs to be paid for the fact that we have all wronged and sinned against God. But the problem gets even greater because the price that needs to be paid is beyond our ability to pay it ourselves. And so a problem exists where, where we as sinful human beings stand on one side and God on the other. But God in his love, longing to restore the relationship that existed in the beginning, longing to have that relationship restored, identifies the problem, knowing it is beyond us to solve it. And so he sends himself, as we're going to celebrate in a few weeks at Christmas. God with us. He sent his son Emmanuel, God with us, to come and to live that perfect life and to stand in the gap and to pay the price that we can be in relationship with him. To be our atoning sacrifice. And folks, you didn't earn it. And I don't deserve it. And yet we all are included in it. Because God loves you with an others-centered, sacrificial, unconditional love that Paul is talking about. And when you come to personally know Jesus in your life, even to just catch a glimpse of this incredible love that he has put into action through his work upon the cross for us, provides an opportunity for us to experience and understand this love. But not just to, not just to comprehend it within ourselves, but also therefore then to go forth and express it, to demonstrate it to other people. But not just people who look like us, or, or talk like us, or, or maybe act like us, worship like us, vote like us, or have the same social status as us. You see, these are the types of things that we can use at times to make our love conditional. Those are some of the barriers that we at times have to make our love conditional. But God loves all people. Jesus died for everyone. Even the people we might have a hard time loving. Who's that person in your life? When you think about that question, who do you have a hard time loving? Who's that person in your life? Is it maybe someone from the past, an individual from the past? Maybe it's a certain segment of society you have a hard time loving. Somebody at work, some, somebody at school, I, I don't know, Calgarians, wh whoever it may be that you have a hard time loving, right? Who is that person? How do you answer that question? However you answer it, Jesus loves them too. And he gave his life for them. He died for their sins as well. Even before they knew they needed a Savior. Even while they were still in the midst of their sinfulness as we were and in cases continue to be at times. Even before they knew their need for a savior, he wanted them to have the opportunity to know his love. He died so they would at least have a choice to know that life is better with Jesus than what they currently are experiencing. See, before Jesus went to the cross, to remove any question of his love for us and of his commitment to us. Before he went to the cross, he told his followers this. He said, as I have loved you, 
so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. As I have loved you, he says. The way that he has loved us was with this other-focused, sacrificial love that puts others and takes the sake and needs of others ahead of the self. But this love, when we experience it, it does more than just give us warm feelings. It does more than give us simply positive opinions towards something of, of this or of God or of religious things. It's more than about feelings and opinions. It's more than just these butterflies in our stomachs because we feel like, it's, like I'm in love now. You see, it also has the power to transform. The power of the love of Christ has the power to transform. And that is a necessity if we are going to truly receive and go forth and live out God's love in our lives. As many of you know, I like sports. Classic sports. Hockey, football, baseball, basketball. At certain times of the year, I also, at certain times of different years, I'll also watch the Olympics. And at that time, you watch sports you forget about or never watch any other time. Swimming, cycling, track and field. One of my favorites to watch actually is, is the pole vault. You've probably seen pole vault before. I've always been fascinated with this. I've always wanted to try that, where you, you stand with your pole and then you run, you plant your pole, then you fling yourself, I don't know how many yards up in the air, up over top of this pole and then you come down to the bottom. I've always wanted to try that. There's just one problem. Even if I were to study and practice and read all sorts of books and strategy, even though I've seen it done a million, million times, look at me. Imagine the pull you would need to fling this thing over a bar. Right? No matter how much experience I have watching, learning, talking about it, I need to be transformed before I can be a pole vaulter. Well, the similar is true when it comes to us receiving the love of God and understanding that, experiencing it, and even be, being able to actually go forth and do it. You see, when a person places their trust in Jesus Christ, when they accept that gift of love, when they accept that gift of sacrifice that he made on their part, Scripture tells us that they become a new creation, meaning that they are dead to the sin that kept them separated from God because they are now alive to Christ. That the old is gone and that the new has come. And not only does this give them a first-hand experience of the love of God, it also gives them the capacity to go forth and express it in their lives as well. Because they've been transformed. And when those who live a life with God also live a life with love well, not only will that build up the body of believers, not only will that encourage and strengthen other followers of Jesus Christ, but when we live a life of love well the way that God intended, it should make the world stand up. And it should make them take notice because we are truly revealing God himself, who in his very core nature is love, to a world who needs that message. From generation to generation, Spiritual questions have been asked and will continue to be asked. The words and the questions may change a little bit. But, but these spiritual questions and this seeking for understanding is more than about a message of how do I relate to God. It, it includes a need for the message of God's love in their lives. But also includes a sense of identity. A sense of value. As people ponder questions like, am I simply an accident of nature? Or, or was I intentionally created? And desired. What is my purpose in this world? Where do I find value? 
This is where a lot of questions focus that people ask. And how we answer those questions not only affects how we relate to God, but also affects our identity and how we see ourselves. And the world in which we live quite often <clears throat> clouds our ability to see God and to understand that he created us for a purpose, that he created us intentionally and specifically. Paul picks up on this in 1 Corinthians 13 when we skip ahead to verse 12, where Paul says, for now we see in a mirror dimly. You see, we see in this mirror dimly, the image that he has there, uh, of the mirror they'd be thinking of at the time he wrote this would be like a polished piece of bronze where you can look in it and you can see a reflection, but it's, it's, not, it's not a true representation. It, it's cloudy. It, it's tainted with other colors. It's distorted somewhat. And this is similar to how we and, and, and other people in the world tend to want to try to identify themselves at times. And we, we look for these identities and answers to these questions in a world that is distorted, in a world that is full of shadows. And it ends up with an incomplete view of the self. And when people have these internal dialogues at times, they go, well, I guess I'm just an autonomous being, essentially. Just on this search for a divine manual that I could operate my life by. Meaning I'm basically a manager. I'm, I'm at the core just a, a discontent person. I have these longings and these desires, and from the time I wake up until I go to sleep, I'm just trying to fulfill my longings and desires. I'm, I'm nothing more than a consumer. Others will think, well, I, I was created for some purpose, so I need to find a mission. I need to find this purpose, and I, need, I can't find value anywhere else, so I'll find value in what I accomplish and what I do. I'll find purpose in those sorts of things. I, I guess that the nature, I'm just simply a servant. And then there's other people who say, if I'm honest, I'm just, I'm despicable. I'm unlovable. I have committed too many sins. And if there is a God, then I live under the constant threat of his wrath. And they define themselves as a sinner. See, the followers of Jesus Christ have another message. Those who have experienced a life with God and have experienced a life with love have another message that we can tell people that God loves them. And that while it may be hard to see at times today, it is still present, even in this world of shadows that exist. The shadow is evidence of something greater, of something truer, of something real. If that didn't exist, there would be no shadow. But the shadows point to the fact that there is something greater that is out there. And we may have a hard time seeing it at times today, but it still exists. But the day is coming, as Paul finishes the verse, he says the day is coming when we shall see face to face. And we might only know in part right now, but then we shall know fully as I am known fully. You see, everything in this world that blocks and distorts a person's view of who God is and of his love for them will be gone one day. They will all be gone and they will know him fully as he knows them fully. And in that moment, they will truly discover who they are. But that doesn't mean we have to wait until then. It means that we have a message that we can share with people even today that you are more than a manager. You are more than a consumer. You are more than a servant. You are more than a sinner. Because God loves you. And even now, if we can just catch a glimpse of Jesus' love, we can hear him say, you are loved. You are chosen. You are not forsaken. You have the ability to say, I have been set free because Jesus died for me. You can say, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus because I am holy and blameless because of him. And he has prepared a place for me because I am a child of God. And I long and I do hear him say, you are my beloved. When you have a life with God, you also have a life with love. And that is true of everybody here. 
and of everybody you will encounter out there. Because if we have a life with God, we also have a life with love. I want to leave you with a few questions to consider. First, have you experienced the love of God in this sense? Maybe you've never accepted God as an atoning sacrifice for you, as I was describing. You may have known there's something wrong and something missing. There's an emptiness or a vacuum in your life, and you've been trying to fill that with things of this world, but, but that type of love and that type of, of reality has never quite matched the yearning that exists. That's because only the love of God will fill that hole that's missing. If that is the case today, then, then we need to release those strongholds that keep you from taking that step of faith, from accepting the work of Jesus Christ, the finished work that he paid the price for our sins and he extends it out to all of us. But it's up to us to actually receive it, to claim it, to make it our own. If that's where you find yourself today, I'm going to pray for you in a moment. I invite you to come forward at the end of the service and talk to some of our prayer people at the front here more about that. Or perhaps as we talk about love today, you've been examining the way that you love others. And thinking, you know, I, I'm not sure if 1 Corinthians 13 really exemplifies the way that I love well. Now, if you were to take all those things, patience and kindness and protection, all those, that would be a daunting task. If, if you're having a hard time loving well, as he describes, pick one. Maybe pick two and work on those. And say, what would it look like to love well this week in light of what we see in 1 Corinthians 13? Start there and continue to walk forward from there. Then the third question I leave with you is, who can you demonstrate God's love to this week? Who are you going to come across? At work, at school, in your neighborhood, even in your own home. Who are you going to encounter this week that you could love well with the love of God? With the love that you've received, that it could flow through you, that they would see Christ in you. And know that at the core of his being is love. Because he's at the core of the infinite. So I leave those questions with you. And I invite you if you would stand as I say a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us first. We thank you for the example that you set of what it looks like to love and to love well. And the fact that that doesn't just lead to, to acceptance and warm feelings, but it leads to this aspect of transformation. Where we therefore experience you, go, go forth that others can experience you through us. God, I pray that, that you would speak to each of us here and that you would search us. That you would give us opportunities and courage to risk more when it comes to love. That we would love more. That we would learn and grow of what it looks like to live in your love, but also to live that out. Not as an end unto ourselves, Father. But to make your love complete in us, to the brothers and sisters around us. But also that the world may see you. That our acts and our words of love would be a revelation of who you are. Of your truth and love for all people. God, may we be unified in this. May we be a powerful witness to all that we encounter this week. We pray this in Jesus' name.